We all have moments in our life that define us, that shape us and mold us into the man or woman that we're becoming. Moments in our life that we look back, circumstances that we walk through that really lead us into our future. And maybe for you, it was walking across that stage and taking that diploma. Or maybe it was the birth of your first child or when your girlfriend said yes to marry you or getting that first job. You see, we all can look back at circumstances and moments in our life that really lead us into our future. And I'm here at the Jordan River, a place where Jesus would have had one of those life-changing moments in his life personally. You can almost imagine the scene. John was in the Jordan River baptizing people from all around the region. And guess who shows up? Jesus. He comes down to the water and he asks John to baptize him, but John reluctantly says, no, Jesus, you should baptize me, not me baptize you. But Jesus says, I, I should do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so John agrees and he takes him down in the water and he brings him up. And there's this moment in scripture that we can't even really fathom or picture. But the Bible says that the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove and God audibly speaks, declaring Jesus's identity. He says, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. And right here in this life-defining moment in Jesus's life, his father declares who he is, the son of God. And you can imagine for Jesus, this would propel him into his ministry. But yet it's not in this moment that we wanna zoom in. It's what happens next. Luke 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus just finished his baptism and the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And I don't know about you, but so many times I've read that word wilderness and I've had a wrong depiction of what that word meant. You see, when I thought wilderness, I thought of you know, lush green pastures or forest lands full of vegetation. But I'm actually here in the wilderness that Jesus was led into. And look around. I mean, it's a desert dry area. There are rocks everywhere, high mountain peaks full of dust and dirt. It's a barren wasteland. And why would Jesus be led here to this wilderness? Well, the purpose is found in verse two. It says, we're for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. I mean, can you imagine that 40 days, over a month of the enemy's schemes for him to try to trick Jesus into falling into sin? 40 days, can you imagine that? I mean, how hard that must've been, how agonizing that must've been for Jesus. But my question is, is why would God why would the Holy Spirit, who is himself God, lead Jesus here to this wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Why would God allow this? Well, you have to go back to his baptism. You see, at Jesus's baptism, God declared his identity. He opened up the skies and he said to his son, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. And right in that moment in Jesus's life, God identified and declared his identity. 
But as God led him to the temptation in the wilderness, it would establish Jesus's credibility because Jesus's baptism declared his identity, but his temptation would give him his credibility. And so Jesus comes to this wilderness, but it would get worse for him. The text says he ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. Man, that probably is the understatement of the Bible. I mean, for over a month, Jesus ate nothing. 40 days of no food to sustain him. And you can imagine, even according to medical professionals, they would say Jesus was at the point of starvation. And that's the circumstances he's here to face the, the, the temptation of the devil. Now I'm here in the wilderness in the middle of winter and it's around 75 degrees. The sun is beaming on my forehead and I'm sweaty. Jesus is hungry, hasn't eaten. And now he has to face temptation for 40 days from the devil. And what's unique about these temptations is we're not given insight into all of them. We're given three. The first one, verse three says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. So at the first temptation, the devil targets Jesus's weakness. Remember, he hasn't eaten for 40 days. It's been over a month since Jesus had had some food to sustain him. And so the enemy targets right there. He says to Jesus, hey, why don't you take one of these stones and turn it into bread? Now again, look around you. There are stones just like this everywhere. And you can imagine not eating for that time period. Jesus probably saw these stones and they began to look appetizing to him. And so the devil says to him, Jesus, please yourself. Jesus, use your power and your ability this would be easy for you. Just take one of these stones and turn it into bread and you can eat. Come on, Jesus, treat yourself. You deserve this. You've been through enough. You've proven your credibility. Just turn this into bread. And what the devil comes after is pleasure. And yet, isn't it true that he often does that for you and I? He gets us to go after our pleasure and neglect the truths of God's word. How many times have we fallen trap in our own lives? How many times have I fallen trap to the devil's schemes and tactics because I was so busy chasing after the pleasure that he dangled in front of me? But look what Jesus responds. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. You see, Jesus just comes back to the truth, the truth of God's word. He says to his enemy, this food, that bread will not sustain me because I'm sustained by my heavenly Father, by God himself. And yet again, we see Jesus's example. We see his unfiltered resistance to the devil. And yet we're the complete opposite so many times in our lives. I'm the complete opposite. Because how many times in my life do I walk around with a full belly, but yet live with an empty spirit? How many times in my life do I choose pleasure over the leadings of the Holy Spirit? And Jesus is the complete opposite of that in this moment in the wilderness where he is physically starving, but yet he's sustained by the Spirit of God himself.
the second temptation. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it'll be all yours. Here the devil comes after Jesus' power and authority. He takes him to a high place and he shows him the kingdoms of man, the kingdoms of the world. Now we have to remember that God gave the devil permission to rule the world, to rule over man. And so here he gives Jesus a picture of the arena that he rules. And he offers Jesus an invitation. He says, Jesus, you can avoid the sacrifice of the cross and I'll give you back man. All you have to do is worship me. You see, it was an invitation to win back the world without having to endure the cross. Jesus, you can have all this back and you don't even have to go through the pain and the agony of the cross. And isn't that exactly where the devil comes after us? Where he says to us, you can go around the sacrifices of life and I'll still get you to the victory or the destination. Maybe it's, hey, cut corners at work and I'll still give you that dream job or cut corners in your marriage and I'll still give you that happily ever after. You see, what he did in this moment was he said to Jesus, you can get around the sacrifice and I'll give you back what you desire. The only thing you have to do is bow down and worship me. Jesus responds, he says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Yet again, as we zoom into Jesus's life, we see this unfiltered denial and resistance to the enemy's tactics and schemes, where Jesus comes back fully to the truth and he says, no, I will worship God and serve God only. And yet I wonder if that's my and your response to the enemy's schemes. When he tempts us to get around sacrifice and still experience the victory, if my response and your response is to say, we worship the one true living God, even if it means we have to sacrifice. The third temptation. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil here takes Jesus maybe to the most prominent place in all of Israel, the Temple Mount. It was here where God's presence dwelt. He takes him to the edge and he says, Jesus, push yourself over and don't worry. Command your angels, abuse your position and make them save you. You don't have to worry about dying because your foot won't even touch a stone. All you have to do is save the world. You see, what the devil does is he tries to get Jesus to abuse his position. 
is a position of authority to command his angels to save him. He also distorts the word of God. He tries to twist the words to get Jesus to do something he shouldn't. But I think the devil failed to realize that he was talking to the word in flesh and his name was Jesus. And what I love about this temptation is it gives us a glimpse of the limited power that the Satan has. You see, you notice in this text, all he can do is suggest to Jesus. He doesn't have the power or the capacity to push Jesus off the edge or make him do anything he wants him to. All he can do is tempt Jesus, to suggest to him. But yet Jesus responds yet again to this temptation. He says, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Yet again, as we focus in on Jesus, we see his ability to resist and deny the tactics and the temptations of the devil. Jesus comes back to the full truth and he says, I will not put the Lord your God to the test. So the enemy frustrated, he leaves. Verse 13, it says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The enemy mad and frustrated, realizing that his temptation wasn't going to be successful, he flees Jesus. But notice the text says he wasn't done. He wasn't finished. He would come back again and try his tactics on Jesus again. Maybe it was in the Garden of Gethsemane, maybe it would be on the cross. But this wasn't the last time that our enemy would tempt our Savior. So he's frustrated and he leaves. And as we look at these circumstances in Jesus' life, we see his unfiltered ability to resist the devil's schemes. And yet I wonder about me and I wonder about you. Can I ask you a question this morning? When is the last time the devil left you because he wasn't successful? When is the last time the enemy was so frustrated at your resistance and he realized his temptation wasn't going to work? Or maybe you've fallen trapped to his offers of power or pleasure or position. Were those meant more to you than following the calling and the plans God had on your life? You see, when we look at our Savior, Jesus, what we see is his ability that no matter what the devil promised or offered, he had unfiltered resistance. Our enemy is alive, and he's active, he's real. And if there is ever a time for our enemy to be prepared and ready for a moment, it's now. Because our fears are, are raging, our anxiety is alive, there's circumstances that are making us fearful and stressed and worried. And man, if there was ever a feeding ground for our enemy, it's now in our current predicament with the virus spreading you see, the truth is, is the enemy that, that, that is around our world is alive and he's active. And I think this is why 1 Peter issues this warning to us all. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be alert and of sober mind. You see, Peter just kind of warns us all. He says, hey, we have to be awake and ready. We have to be of, of sober mind and alert, always looking and on our guard, ready for the tactics and the scheme and the temptation of our enemy. 
It's almost like Peter is suggesting to us that we need to put a security system with cameras in our hearts and in our minds, always watching and always ready because the devil is waiting to come. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Why? Well, he continues in the verse, he says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You see, Peter says we got to be awake and ready because our enemy is like a lion. And, and I love the imagery that the, the Bible gives us about our enemy because I love National Geographic or Planet Earth, these shows that kind of give us insight into the way animals work. And if you've ever watched one of these shows, which I'm sure of, you've, you've probably seen a lion stalk its prey. A lion, you know, we think of lions as powerful and strong, but one thing they are is patient. They will wait in the high grass for hours, stalking, their prey, waiting for an opportunity, waiting for a weakness to pounce on. And that's the imagery the Bible gives us of our enemy. He's a lion. And one thing our enemy is, is he's patient. He will wait in the weeds. He will wait in your life, studying you, stalking you, just waiting for his opportunity, waiting to, for him to find a weakness that he can exploit in your life. Because our enemy is a roaring lion waiting to devour you and me. And as we look at the story with Jesus, we see the tactics and the scheme of our enemy, and it really reveals to us the three strategies that our enemy uses. And I want to kind of walk you through them. The first one is your, our enemy is going to distort the word of God. He's going to distort the word of God that we rely on. You see, he's so good at taking the words of God and twisting them and turning them to get us to think that we're living in a biblical manner when we're really not. I mean, he does this to Jesus. He says, Jesus, isn't it written? Doesn't the Bible say this, Jesus? And he just slowly tweaks it and turns it. You see, I think when it comes to the, to the devil, our enemy, we often forget this truth that the devil is a Bible scholar. Now, when I say that, you might be taken aback, right? What did you just say? Yeah, our enemy knows the Bible. In fact, he knows it inside and out, and the whole purpose of him knowing the Bible, of being a Bible scholar, is so that he can distort it and twist the words to convince you to live in a manner that is not pleasing to God. I mean, how many times have we fallen into that trap where we have conformed the Bible to our lives and what we want and what we desire rather than conforming our lives to what the Bible says. And the reason that is is because the enemy has distorted the words. See, the first thing he's going to do is distort the Bible that we rely on. The second thing he's going to do is he's going to attack your weak points. He's going to attack your weaknesses. He's like that lion down in the grass just waiting and studying you, looking for your weaknesses, looking for the areas that you are prone to wander away from God, and when he finds them, he will exploit them. He will attack right there. He will press down on your weaknesses. And we all have them. We all have weak spots. And when you think about our weak spots, you can kind of categorize them into three things. You see, our weak points, the first one is pleasure. Right? We like pleasures in life, things like food and sex and entertainment, and the devil will dangle those, those pleasures in front of us to get us to wander from God. The second one is position. Man, don't we love getting promotions or being elevated or honored? 
will climb the corporate ladder and we're willing to, to get that position, to cut corners, to lose our integrity because we're so focused on the power that the position will give us. The third one is possessions. You know, if we could just have that big house or that nice car, and we'll, we'll do whatever it takes. The devil convinces us, you can have all those things. You just got to do certain things. And those are weak points where he presses in on our lives to get us to wander away from God. And so he's going to distort the word of God. He's going to attack you at your weak spots. And then the third one is he's going to isolate you. And maybe this is the one we need to lean in a little bit today. Because probably many of us already feel isolated. I mean, we're, we're void of human interaction because we're quarantined to our house. And one of the greatest tactics the enemy uses on you and me is he, he wants to isolate us. Look at this story with Jesus. When does the enemy come and, and attack and, and tempt Jesus? It's when he's alone. He's void of any human interaction. The disciples are not with Jesus. His family is not with Jesus. Jesus is in the wilderness all alone. And that's when the enemy comes. And that's when he comes for you and me, is when we're bored, alone, because boredom is the enemy's playground. And right now, we, we, we feel this a little bit, right? We're isolated. And the reason why the enemy isolates you is because he wants you to think that you're the only person dealing with that battle, with that struggle. He isolates you, and he gets you to the place where you think, man, no one struggles with this but me. I'm the only one who has same-sex attraction. I'm the only one whose marriage is falling apart right now. I'm the only one with this virus who is panicking and afraid. He convinces you that you're the only business in town that is failing because of the virus. You're the only one whose kids are terrors. I mean, look at everybody else's kids. They're obedient and they behave you're just the only parent who can't control their kids. And what he does is he isolates us. He gets us to think we're the only person struggling in that battle. And here's the reason why. Is he isolates you and he convinces, you're, you are, he convinces you that you're alone because when you are alone and you feel like no one else understands, no one else cares about your battle, he can keep you right there in the midst of your struggle. Because if you feel alone, you won't reach out for help. You won't reach out for love. You won't reach out for counseling. And the enemy has you trapped in the midst of your struggle, of your battle. And the truth is, is the enemy is real. He's alive. And he's coming after you and he's coming after me. And this is his feeding ground right now with all our fears and our stress raging. And he's going to try to distort God's word. He's going to try to isolate you. And he's going to try to attack your weaknesses. And you know what? Maybe right now, you feel like that's true. Maybe in the midst of all the chaos that our country and our world is going through, you feel like the devil is pressing in on you. He's pressing in on those fears that you have. He's pressing in on your anxiety. He's pressing in on the fact that you lost your job and you're overwhelmed. And actually, right now, you feel like you're losing the battle. You feel like you're overwhelmed and you just can't win because there's so much going on. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like I do today. Like it's, it's just you feel like you're in the midst of, of a losing battle. And what I love about this story, where we look at Jesus' example, here's what it reveals to you and I. It reveals to you and I, even if we're losing right now, that it is possible to resist temptation. 
That as we look at Jesus, our author and our, our finisher of our faith, if we look at his life, he sets an example and he shows us exactly how we can overcome the battle, how we can win the battle. And how exciting and how hopeful is that? That as we look at Jesus, he reminds us that even though we might feel like we're losing right now, it is possible for us to win. Not only is it possible, but God wants you to win. God is fighting for you to win this battle. In fact, look what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Man, do we just need to hear that again? God is faithful. Can I tell you this morning, God is faithful in the midst of everything that's going on right now? He's faithful in the midst of your struggle and your battle. It's a message of hope. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, here's the hope for all of us. He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. See, no matter what you're dealing with right now, no matter what your battle is or your struggle is, the good news is today that there is a hope that God gives you a way out and you can win. You can win the battle. So let's get a little personal today. And I know that's really hard to do because I'm in an empty auditorium and you're watching me through a screen, whether it's on your iPhone or your television or your laptop. And it's hard to kind of get personal, but I want to ask you a question. A question about this topic, and, and for a second, maybe you're watching with your family, or maybe you're watching with a friend, but I, I just want you to focus in on your life. I want you to zoom in in your heart and what you're struggling with, and I want to ask you this question. What is filtering your ability to resist sin? What is getting in the way? What excuses are you living with in your daily life that you have accepted to embrace sin rather than God's calling on your life. I mean, honestly, let's, let's be real today. What, what excuses am I using to justify the sin that I have accepted over and over and over again in my life? What are they? You know, maybe for you, it's just when you're hungry or you're tired, you do stupid things. Or long days at work or, you know what, being at home right now with your family is, is kind of hard. Your kids are driving you crazy and you just want to yell at them or your spouse is just kind of getting on your nerves. You've been at home for too long and, and what, is, what is it that, that just gets in the way from you resisting God's plan for your life? What are you justifying in your life? Maybe it's a sin struggle that you have had for year after year after year and you've just said to God, God, I'm going I'm I'm to overcome this. I'm going to win this battle. But yet you still find yourself falling into the same cycle of sin. What filter is getting in the way of you saying no to our enemy and yes to Jesus? You see, the question that we really want to get at this morning is how do we win this battle? How do we resist temptation? How in the midst of my fear, which man, let's be honest, we're all afraid right now. We're all a little bit nervous. We're all a little bit worried because we don't know the future. But how in the midst of my fear and my anxiety and my stress and my worry, how do I win that battle? How do I not allow the enemy to take over my fear and it to consume me and rage and wander my mind? How do I win that battle? And I want to give you really one big thing. And then I want you to know you need three things to win and resist temptation. The first thing we all have to know 
is that you are not strong enough. You're not. And I know that's not very encouraging for me or for you. Like, it's never fun to be told, hey, you're not enough. You're not strong enough. You're not wise enough. But I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that, if I didn't tell myself that. And maybe today the reason why you've struggled with sin for so long, maybe today why your fear is raging is because you're fighting all by yourself. You've tried to overcome that addiction or you've tried to overcome that response. You've tried to do those things in your own power and your own strength and you've lost and you've lost and you've lost because you're fighting alone. And I just want you to know the truth that if you choose to try to beat our enemy in all by yourself, in your own strength, you will consistently lose. But today I want you to know that you need three things to win. Three things. The first one is this, you need God's help. You need God's help to fight the battle. Now look at Jesus here. Jesus is led into the wilderness. And notice, there's no human interaction with Jesus. He's not with his disciples. He's void of any human interaction, but he's not alone. Look at Luke chapter 4. It says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You see, as Jesus faced temptation, he wasn't alone. He was fully present, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. God was fighting with him. Now, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? You see, the truth is, is if you are a Christian today, you know Jesus and he's your forgiver and he's your leader, here's the great news, is you don't have to fight alone. You see, when you make the decision in your life, when you make the conscious choice to believe in what Jesus accomplished for you on that cross, that his death conquered your sin and his resurrection gave you victory over your sin, what happens in that moment where you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you surrender your life to him, a miracle happens. See, in that moment where you say yes to Jesus, God actually comes and dwells in your heart. The Holy Spirit comes as your advocate and your guide. And one of his main job responsibilities is to help you in the temptation to help you defeat the tactics and the scheme of our enemy. You see, the Bible, I told you earlier, it says every time you're tempted, you will have a way out, Scripture says. It says there will be, God will provide a way out. And I think this is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. Because every time in my life where I get ready to do something stupid, there is this still, small voice whispering in my head and my heart, Drew, don't do that. Drew, don't go to that website. Drew, don't respond that way. Drew, don't send that email. Because the Spirit, when we have God's help and we listen to that voice that reminds us of where we want to go and where we don't want to go. When we choose to listen to the Spirit of God, we will resist the temptation of our enemy. We need God's help. The second thing we need is we need to know our Bibles. You need to know your Bible and I need to know my Bible. You see, there's a major difference between reading your Bible and knowing your Bible. 
You see, right now, what we need to do is we need to read our Bible so we become, we get to the place where we know our Bible. And look what the scripture says, Psalms chapter 119, I love this verse, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart. You see, there's this beautiful imagery here. When you hide God's word in your heart, what it means is it, it goes from just reading a textbook or, or a novel, it, it goes from the pages of scripture actually transfer from the book itself into your heart, and the way that happens is you study it, you know it, you memorize it. And when that happens, here's what scripture says. When you hide God's word in your heart, guess what it says? It says that I may not sin against you. That I'd be able to refute the enemy. But I get it, there's a tension there, right? Because many of you are new to faith. You just started following Jesus, or actually I believe some of you watching today are gonna say yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're gonna start reading your Bible and here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna open it up and you're gonna start reading. You're gonna be like, wow, this is confusing. This is weird. Some pretty cool stories, but I don't understand it. What is God trying to say to me? Maybe you feel that tension. Even as a pastor, there are passages that I read where I'm like, God, wow, what is this? And here's what I would encourage you to do, to know your Bible, not just read your Bible, but to know your Bible. As you study it, write down your questions. Write down what's confusing and ask. Ask questions of a pastor. Ask questions from your community group. Seek some wise counsel. In fact, if you have questions when you're reading your Bible this week, email us at info at northridgerochester.com. We want to disciple you and answer those questions that you might have so you go from reading your Bible to knowing it. And when you know it, you hide it, you memorize it in your heart so that you won't sin against God. Another way to do this is we're getting ready to launch a virtual starting point class. And what this is, is this is kind of a virtual small group where people who are new to faith can come and ask whatever questions they have, questions about the Bible, questions about Jesus, and we're getting ready to launch that. And so stay tuned because it's going to be beneficial for everybody who's new to faith. So we need God's help. We need to know our Bibles. And then third, you need accountability. Man, you need people in your life who are going to hold you accountable to what you want to live out. You need people in your life who are going to ask really hard questions, awkward questions that you really don't feel like answering, but that will push you to Jesus. People in your life who will ask questions like this. When's the last time you memorized scripture? When's the last time you took your wife or your husband out on a date? When is the last time you said no to something that you knew you wanted, that pleasure or that position or that possession to chase after God? You see, we need people in our lives to hold us accountable. And this is why our church is built on small groups, community, right? We want you in biblical community with people who will surround you with the love of Christ that will push you to walk and to look like Jesus. And I know our groups are on break right now, but here's what I would challenge all of our church. If you're a community group leader in our church, I would challenge you to rally your group this week to connect virtually. We're isolated right now. We're, we're away from the people that we love, and the one thing we can do is gather today. If you're not in a group, you're new to our church, and you want to be a part of our group, click that Connect tab and let us know. We'll get you plugged into a virtual group sometime this week. Let us know. You can't fight alone, because if you fight alone you will lose. You need God's help. You need accountability. 
and you need to know your Bible. But when you think of those three things, what's the most important? And I really think it's God's help. You see, some of you today, you are fighting a battle all by yourself. And it's because you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is hope. And right now, what we need more than anything in our country and in our culture is hope. And I want you to know today that you don't have to fight alone. That in the midst of our circumstances, you can feel a peace that goes beyond any circumstance or any storm because of who Jesus is and what he accomplished for you. And maybe you're here today and you want to say yes to Jesus Christ. You you actually know that he came to save you from your sin. You see, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's standard. And the Bible says that we can't be the solution to our sin problem, but yet in, in, in God loved us enough. John 3, 16 says this, but God loved you enough to give you his one and only son that he would come to earth and die in your place, a painful and humiliating death to conquer your sin. And three days later, we're getting ready to celebrate it on April 12th, he would rise from the dead and give you victory over your sin. And all you have to do All you have to do is say yes to him. Believe in him with your heart. Believe what he accomplished for you on that cross and through his resurrection. And the Bible says when you confess that with your mouth and you believe it in your heart, you will be saved. And the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you and fight your battles together. So maybe you're here today and you want to do that. So I would ask all of us, Every single one of us. This might be weird and awkward in your home with people, but I would just ask you to bow your head and close your eyes right now. You know, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you're a Christian, I would just challenge you right now to pray for all of those watching online right now who don't know Jesus, that right now they would make the decision to follow him. And if you're watching with us and you don't know Jesus and and you want to make that step you want to have hope in the midst of the chaos of life and you want to give Jesus your life, here's all that you have to do. All you have to do is say this simple prayer. It's not magical, but it's literally a cry of your heart saying, I need you, Jesus. So would you say these words with me? God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've fallen short of your standard and I can't fix that problem. But yet, God, I believe I believe in what you accomplished for me on that cross and through your resurrection that you gave me the victory. And so today, in this moment, Jesus, I am turning from my sin and I'm putting all of my hope and all of my trust in you. Come in my life right now. Be my forgiver and my leader and begin the process of changing me from the inside out. Man, if you said that prayer this morning and you believed it in your heart, here's what I would challenge you to do, something really simple. I would challenge you to let somebody know. Think about temptation and and the devil, right? The devil's going to tell you not to tell anybody, to keep that to yourself. But here's what I'm telling you to do. Tell somebody. And here's an easy step for you. You can tell our church or you can tell me personally. Right now on the screen, you're going to see a set of two emails. Two 
Twitters and two Facebooks. You see, one is our, our churches. If you want to just send an email or you want to reach out to our church on social media, do that. Let them know, hey, I said that prayer. I said I accepted Jesus into my life. I gave my life to Jesus. Just let us know. If you feel more connected to me because I'm the one talking on this stage, man, send me a message. I would love to celebrate with you and, and to rejoice in what God did in your life. So right there is all. There's my email and all my social media accounts. You just send me a message and you let me know. And here's my promise to you, is we won't leave you alone in this journey. We will surround you with love. I would love to send you a Bible. I would love to get you some resources to help disciple you as you step into this new journey of following Jesus. And so please, I'm begging you, let us know. I'm telling you, there are people all over Rochester, all over our world that will celebrate knowing that you made that step today. And so please let us know. Let me pray for us, God tumultuous times. I mean, it's so crazy. I can't even begin to express it. Each day brings something new, something that we're not ready for, something that we don't expect. But yet we realize that we're not shaken because we stand on the rock, the rock that is unchangeable and unmovable, and that rock is you. And God, even though the storm rages and we don't know the future and we can't control it, all of our trust is poured out on you and in you because we know you know the future. You know what's going to happen. And so, God, we just declare as a church, as Christians, the body of believers, that no matter what happens, we love you, we're for you, and we will not stop preaching the gospel until we get to go home with you. God, I pray for the person that said yes to you, that they would be bold enough just to send an email, a message that they would let somebody know that they took that step. I pray for all of the believers, God. I pray that we would be bold and courageous, that we wouldn't think of ourselves right now, but that we would be the church, that we would rise up and we would meet needs, that we would love people. No virus can stop the gospel. And so God, may we go for it. May we be bold and courageous. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey guys, I, I just wanna thank you for joining us online. I know this is different and it's crazy, but a couple of things I want you to do. First thing, we want to connect with you. We want to know who you are, no matter where you're joining us from. And so if you're watching online through uh, our church platform, just click that connect tab. And man, you can fill that form out. This is a great way for us to, to start building a relationship with you, to be able to pray for you. Another thing we'd love to do is just simply pray for you. If you have needs, um, you, you, you have prayers because someone's sick in your family or you have grocery needs, please let us know. We want to be the church for you. We want to surround you with love. And another thing you just need to know, I know it's hard to talk about, but the only way it's possible for us to broadcast these services is through the generosity of our church. And so, man, if you're able to give and to be generous, I, I challenge you right now, grab your cell phone, text Northridge to 77977. It's right on the screen. Just grab your phone right now, text Nor Northridge, and man, give what you're able to. Give and let us keep bringing the gospel to the world really right now. Help us to keep loving people who are in need. And so we love you guys. We care for you. And we want to see what God's going to do in the midst of this storm. So we hope you are safe, know we're praying for you, and we will see you back next week. Have a great day.